This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Nick Anastasiu. And I am Amy Nelson. Yeah, so welcome back, guys. I've uh, got some good news. Uh, Zach will be back next week. Finally, he's coming back. So it's, it's good, and uh, we're very happy to have him. He's, uh, he's doing well. In fact, uh, today, as we're recording this, his Astros beat the snot out of my Red Sox. So I don't know if I'm going to let him back, um, to be honest with you. We'll have to see how that goes. But anyway, once again, uh, I've got Nick, three, three shows in a row with Nick and two out of three with Amy. Thank you so much for coming aboard and, and helping Standard Orbit out as we continue to drive further and faster. That's what it takes to fill in for Zach. <laughs> oh, don't stroke his ego. No, 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 we won't go there. So um, we can... We, Nick, I guess Nick, Nick came up with an idea a few weeks ago, and we've been trying to kind of, all right, how are we going to launch this thing? As you know, if anybody's on Facebook or the Babel Conference and, <laughs> and, and sees Nick's replies or whatever, you always get this, this ape looking at you with his avatar. It's actually the first time I saw it. I remember it scared me a little bit because, well, all right, I'm a wuss. Anyway, and it's, it's very, idea again. yeah, it's very intimidating. And um, so, so Nick is a big Planet of the Apes fan. And he put together, I thought, a pretty cool concept, right? We know that there was this comic book thing they did not that long ago and kind of put the two universes together. I didn't think it was really done very well. But the concept Nick came up with was, was very interesting. So, Nick, I'll let you tell our listeners your idea and what we're going to be talking about today. Well, um, I was watching, I was re-watching Planet of the Apes, the original, um, a while back. And uh, all of a sudden, it I don't know why, because I've seen this movie many times. I'm a big fan, as you said. And all of a sudden, I started to, I think it was probably the look of it. We can talk about that at some point. It's in the early part when they're still in the desert. And it just, I, I just went, I think, from that to, oh, this kind of, it's funny. It looks a little bit like Vasquez Rocks. It looks a little bit like when TOS was on location half the time. Hmm. And from, from there, I started to think, you know, actually, Planet of the Apes is not unlike 
an episode, a big episode of Star Trek. And a lot of, a lot of people have said that Planet of the Apes was like Twilight Zone, the movie, for a very good reason. And I think that that's right. I mean, it's obviously, it's a Rod Serling script. Um, and it feels very much, if you know, in like the Twilight Zone, like a long episode of the Twilight Zone in some ways. And we can talk about that as well a little bit. Um, comparisons between Roddenberry and Rod Serling that way. But I, I did all of a sudden start to see a lot of parallels in the themes, in the plot, um, in some of the lead characters. Um, I started to think about um, Taylor, the, the role, the character played by Charlton Heston mm -hmm. uh, and Kirk. And while they're not exactly the same, the same, the same characters, but there's definitely some similarities. Part of it is also the time period and how leading men uh, were perceived and played uh, their roles in, in entertainment. Um, and then I was thinking, oh, and geez, these, this movie was contemporary to TOS. It, it came out, it was made and came out when TOS was on the air. So all of, all of this kind of meshed into, I thought, wouldn't it be great if we did, it's a combination of things that, that have done on the network before, but that's also a little different. Something which is a comparison, looking at a movie that was contemporary to TOS um, and, and talk about that comparison. And also do, it's not really a rewrite, but kind of see how, how this story, obviously all we have is our imagination, would play out if we dropped our favorite TOS characters in it. And, and so that's where it's different from the, the crossover that they did in the comic books. My idea wasn't so much to come up with a new story, um, but to say, okay, let's try to, to start with the script that got executed for Planet of the Apes. And let's go from there. If, if, if it was, if we had to use that story and make it into a TOS episode, what would happen? Um, so, that's that's kind of what I came up with, and and I thought that we could divide the show, um, the episode into into uh, a few sections, and we can maybe start by talking about. Uh, we don't have to go in detail into the film because it's not a Planet of the Apes podcast, but we can talk a little bit about our first reactions when we first saw that film, context when it was, and um, Amy, I think you saw it you saw it for the first time recently, so so it'll be interesting actually to see a, a fresh perspective on an old movie you know, uh, watching that movie for the first time today, what that feels like. Uh, and then and then we can talk a little bit about um, the ways, generally speaking, not in terms of plot so much, but themes, uh, like I said, the creatives, Roddenberry and Sterling, the ways in, in which we feel like it is like TOS, the parallels, the way that we feel like in those parallels, there's also divergence and differences. Um, and then we can finish with doing kind of our little imaginative rewrites of what would happen if it was Kirk instead of Taylor. So that's, that's, that was the idea. Well, it's a very clever idea, you know, and uh, you, you threw me though, because all my notes and, and everything came from, um, like you said, old movie. I was like, what are you talking about? Wahlberg didn't make that movie that long ago. Right. I mean, right. To... <laughs> the the definitive planet of the age. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh God, that was awful. Anyway, and, and yeah, what, what do they say? A A Abraham Lincoln? Is that what they say? In that yeah. If 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 this had been if this podcast had been around April first, I would have said, let's okay, let's just play a joke on these guys and totally as as long as possible 
with a straight face, make it like we're going to talk about the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes. Yeah, but yeah. It's not, so we're not even going to pretend. No, no, that was a, that was a red alert wave off. Do not watch that film. I, I remember that distinctly. Yeah. Yes, yes. That I, I, I will I will say for the sake of being positive, it has amazing, amazing costumes. Um, the ape suits are beautiful. I thought they were great, um, and that's where my positive review is going to stop. Okay, and that's where it is. <laughs> So, Amy, since you saw it the most recent, right? You just saw it the other day. What were your first impressions of the movie? Yeah, so I went online to try and find it. And, oh, my goodness, there's, I don't know, what, 20 Planet of the Apes? No, I don't know. There was at least five or six. And so I'm texting you guys. I'm like, I don't know which one you're talking about. And I opened up uh, my brother's DVD things, and there was Planet of the Apes. So I popped it in. And apparently it was the Tim Burton one that you guys are saying. And you're like, don't watch it. I'm like, too late. It's already on. So I did happen to see that one. But then I, uh, you corrected me and I went and saw the 1968 one. And I told my mom, I was like, hey, I'm watching this. She's like, oh, it's such a good movie. And so I know my mom likes it. Um, I really enjoyed it. I watched it twice. Well, one and a half times, I guess. But um I thought the idea was very interesting and in watching it, like there are so many quotable lines in there that I'm like, Oh, is that where that comes from? Like, cause I didn't know I'd never seen it before. So I was pretty impressed that it really is in our culture, like that movie. And I know I'd seen that ending with the statue of Liberty And now I know the movie that it goes with. So I was sort of surprised that I had recognized so many different parts from the movie and not even knowing that it was that movie. No, that's cool. That's cool. I, um, I don't know how many times I I was a big planet of the apes fan growing up and it was on all the time. There was a a TV show that made me so terrified when I was a kid, the, the, the opening of that show, the, um, the whole, the whole thing, the music, everything it just it just i remember just being scared out of my mind more so than the movies the opening of the tv show was much more terrifying to me i don't know why but it was really really i don't know a little 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 eyes i guess but uh it was funny when you were saying um nick about you know it was in the same era same way that men were were kind of portrayed in the 60s you know that leading man and the thing the first thing i thought about is like yeah charlton heston didn't have a shirt on most of the time either did he no <laughs> so, he did not oh and amy intercepts good for you amy so you remembered that part okay <laughs> yes yeah, you look like you're perspiring a little bit Ooh, it's getting warm in here <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah he was uh you know, charlton heston was the man back then but uh, as, as far as movies go, yeah, I mean, I know the word iconic is overused now because it's, it's such a common thing, but that movie was. And they always say, you know, that some of the best forms of flattery is parody. So you've seen, you know, that, that mock um, Statue of Liberty scene and um, it's inside in Spaceballs. It was in, um, what was it? Was it um, an animated movie? I forget now. I, I just remember Ben Stiller was one of the voices of Madagascar. That's what it was. Um, it, you know, you, you'll see that that scene come up uh, a few different times, uh, but but a very powerful one. And because I've seen it so many times, I was trying to remember my my first reaction to um, the Statue of Liberty, and it was so beautifully filmed. 
that ending, you know, where you come behind the statue and whatever. He's like, what is he looking at? And then when it becomes apparent, it really, uh, it really throws you that, that, that they're on earth. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great movie. I think I see a lot of the parallels. I don't think I saw it until Nick explained it. It's always nice when you have somebody who's really passionate about something who, who describes something like that. And then you say, yeah, I can see the parallels. And the more you talked about it, Nick, I was like, yeah, you know, you could make this work in a couple of different ways with Star Trek. I'm not going to go into that now, but I'm sure as we, as we discuss, we'll, we'll be able to pull that out. But um, yeah, my, my first impressions of the movie was it was just awesome. And um, I know you, I know Brandon is a huge Planet of the Apes fan. So there's a, a lot of them out there. And so is Zach, actually. So if he wasn't at the game watching his team beat my Red Sox, he probably would have joined us tonight. But what do you and think? Zach is the one who actually started my nickname, Ape Face. It's yes, Zach, he did. It's, it's a Zach trademark. <laughs> yes, it is a Zach trademark. That's right. That was right. That was a, um, a shout out episode when we were, we were thanking everybody. That's right. And uh, I remember him going, we were trying to pronounce your last name. And he just went, what, you mean ape face? Ape, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was different. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I, I had a very similar um, experience to yours. Um, well, it was with the film, not with the series. I saw the series, but a little later, I was a little older. Um, but the, when I was growing up in France, the, the film um, played every summer on tv mm -hmm. uh, there were a few i mean I, I it was maybe six or seven years after the movie had come out um and uh france at the time what they would do is they would buy these well they weren't really old movies yet but movies that had come out a few years before and those would be staples it's what they had and we only had three channels at the, at the, at the time not not that different from here and and basically every summer you kind of had these movie festivals where they would they would play the same movies you know uh, usually it was on sunday night movie and uh um yeah i must have been six or seven when i first saw it and i was fascinated and scared but not not in a run 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 and hide behind the couch kind of scared um i just there's something about it i don't know what that felt so real to me. And I think that's kind of what scared me, but it, it's, I thought it was freaky in the way that the, the apes looked so real. Um, but at the same time, I remember clearly, clearly the, the world that they live in, the landscape um, that the astronauts walk through until they get to the village. The, the look of the village itself looked so alien to me um, and yet very realistic. Um, and I think the portrayal that the actors put into the ape characters probably is what really struck that chord of feeling very real at the same time as they looked like they were completely inhuman characters. And I was fascinated by that as a kid. And, and every, every summer I would watch, I would look at the TV guide and see that it was next Sunday's Planet of the Apes. And I was just so excited. You know, it was a big movie night. I would just, I had my little like seat on the floor in the living room <laughs> and I would take my snacks after dinner and I, I would just the, my eyes would go big um and I was it was always that same mix of of being kind of scared because I felt like it was so real and I think probably the music by Jerry Goldsmith which is very experimental and has all these sort of strange sound effects 
probably contributed to kind of making making it creepy, but also really fascinating to me. Um, and uh, that that was kind of the the context for for that, which is funny because, and again, I've never thought about that until a few weeks ago when I, the idea came to my mind. It's around the same time, probably a year or two before, that my dad started to show me TOS, and that I got I started to to, to love um, Star Trek. So that's that's my my context and my my first experience with the film. That's pretty interesting. So it had nothing to do with the. Uh... The fact that the person who wrote the original novel was from France as well, or is a Frenchman? No, I didn't. No I connectivity didn't find for that. No. much later, yeah. Um, yeah. I think it was. It wasn't until I mean, much later. I, I was. I think I was a teenager um, when when I found out that a that it was based on a novel and that and that it was a French author. Yeah, and, and read it. And 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 honestly, I have to say, um, a national pride aside, it's an interesting novel, um, but it's in my opinion far inferior to the film. Uh, and you can really see, and this is something that Rod Serling did a lot of. Um, Rod Serling actually, I mean, he was a genius writer, but part of his genius wasn't just coming up with um, great stories. He often, during his work on The Twilight Zone, he often worked with material that had been written in some form, um, short stories a lot, uh, or novellas. Um, and he would, he would see a nugget in there um, that was there is, is really the diamond in the rough. And he had this really amazing talent at understanding how the story, how that nugget could be 10 times better or, or more powerful if it was told in a different way. And if you look at, if you compare the novel to what he did in the film, it, it's, it's far, far superior to the, to the novel. The novel is interesting. It's very interesting, especially as a comparison, mm -hmm. but it's not that good of a, of a, of a book yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, it's like Jaws. <laughs> Jaws mm -hmm. was just an okay novel, but a great movie. So yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, Amy. Time to get you back in the game. So you've seen the movie. Um, you 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 liked it. Um, I thought uh, one of the things that was fascinating too was the makeup at that time. How wonderful it was, and how Roddy McDowell can make that ape scene so alive with the expressions. Kim Reed was pretty good too, but he just had a way about him. Um, as you were watching it and you started to kind of go down where, where Nick was sending us to, to the parallels in Star Trek, um, did, you, did you see any right away? Or what were, what were the things that, that made you say, yeah, I, I see it? Or is it still something you're kind of clawing for? Well, I think the, the themes of the movie of Planet of the Apes definitely deal a lot with the social issues. And so in that, it's very similar to you know, the original series and Star Trek in general. But I wanted to um, sort of talk about, okay, so when I watched Planet of the Apes, to me, it was so real and authentic and I was there and the there was no CGI. It was such mm. a breath of fresh air. And I was like, oh my gosh, this movie is fabulous. I was just enjoying the scenery and the action. And, and I'm wondering like, okay, this is a contemporary of TOS. And when I watch TOS and I, I'm sorry, I, I don't ever feel that way. And I'm wondering if it's because like when TOS, they do their, I don't, I don't know the technology or something that sort of throws me out of it. And I was like, Oh, that's so stupid. Or, 
Mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry. I'm. I don't mean to be. You know, disrespectful. No, it's okay. Of the original no, I, series, I, but right. it's a it's a it's a it's a really good point. I mean, I I think that um I think that some of it, and I'm I'm speculating at this point. Um, but I think I would say I would say a half educated speculation. Um, based on what was going on in both mediums, um, is probably what drives the 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 things the differences you picked up and i mean and this we 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 talked about this section of 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 our episode being about the parallels and the differences in those parallels so um i I think that um this is smack dab in the middle of uh, the era where uh cinema was experimental uh and and really you're breaking this is this is the, the 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 time when the studios their hold on how films are made that lasted through the 30s and 40s and 50s is breaking you know and for three four decades you had this very regimented studios had had specific types of actors studios specialized on specific genres of films um and then all of that in the mid to late 60s starts to fall apart um and 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 with that there's an influx of creative experimentation on every level if you look at the score for um, Planet of the Apes. It's a very good, I think, example of what well, probably applies to a degree with the whole film. Um, it, it's a it's a score that's completely unlike anything in traditional Hollywood. Um, it's you have composers that are starting to basically apply the idea that well, we can we can use sound effects or just sounds and have that be part of the score. Um, and if you look at um, TOS in contrast in that sense at that point we're still very much in in the um i think the paradigm where tv is kind of like the uh, the ugly little brother like tv basically is kind of deemed sort of an inferior version of entertain form of entertainment and tv kind of tries to tries to do things like the movies and so in that sense tv is going to be a little further behind and so if you have movies that are already experimenting and that are kind of much into a different form you have tv probably modeling its production in the way that movies were made five or ten years before so i think that you you're going to have kind of studio network tv produced in a way that that's much more maybe campy even by even by that that time you know um Whereas films, cinema is already trying to graduate and mature towards something that's a lot more realistic, grounded, um, and and bare kind of where it projects you into into the reality as opposed to to make to accentuating that it's a different reality you're looking at. Um, if you look at 2001: Space Odyssey, it came out the same year as Planet of the Apes, and you know it, it's it's just it's about as opposite to star trek in terms of the approach to science fiction no sound in space no music um everything is very very almost like a documentary so i think this is probably what what you're picking up on well thus endeth the lesson (laughs) that was pretty cool edit me down ken edit me down oh no 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 it's all good stuff and uh i i was i was very very invested in in what you were saying um for me when we when you talk about the the parallels i think a lot of it has to do with um 
the leading man type stuff, pieces of it. And, um, you know, kind of that uh, Charlton Heston is, is definitely the hero in this movie. We just don't know what he's up against. Uh, there's a lot of, I think, good lessons that are learned. Uh, you know, there, there was a lot of philo philosophical beliefs amongst the apes um, that kind of paralleled the human beliefs in, in Star Trek, right? Um, mm -hmm. they, they had a, a pretty rigid set of laws about not harming one another and things along those lines, which I thought was kind of interesting. But, um, you know, and, and, and I think you, you had hit it before, a lot of the scenery, uh, even though the, the, the sets on Star Trek were pretty weak at times. When they did go on location, it, it seemed to be out in the desert, you know, and, and mm -hmm. in that type of environment quite a bit. So I, 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 thought, it, I, I thought it hit pretty well there. Um, and and just, the, uh, just the timeline. I mean, we were dealing with, with outer space. We were dealing with, I thought, some pretty dang good special effects um, for that era. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there's the, one of the things that parallels, I, I remember uh, when, when Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, was coming out, that they were very close, or it was the largest um, makeup movie since the last Planet of the Apes movie was made. So in all that time, I don't know when the last one was done, let's say, what, 74, 75, something like that? That sounds about right, 74, like I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you go, you go almost 17 years uh, till another movie had anything even close, right? So it was just putting all the, the makeup on the Klingons uh, mm -hmm. in, in that movie came close. I, I don't remember if it beat it. I don't think it did, but I think it was the largest makeup, um, you know, the, the amount of mass and prosthetics and things and all that. So there, there's kind of a, a, an interesting parallel with that because since then, I'm sure everything has been um, pretty much CGI, right? Since I'm quite sure yeah. that's what they did with Avatar, right? So yeah, yeah it's uh, it, it, it's pretty cool on, on those fronts, but uh, that, that's how I saw it. That's, you know, there, there was a, a, a same general feeling. Um, it is funny when you watch a movie that's made in a certain era, even if they're making a movie about a historical event or something along those lines, you can still look at it and go, oh, that was made in the 60s or that was mm -hmm. made in the 70s. You know, just by the, for whatever reason, people never really adjusted haircuts or, or, or looks or anything like that um, to, to change with the time. And Planet of the Apes, obviously, I mean, these are just astronauts that were, were stuck in space a long time. And so they, they grew, grew beards, which really wasn't commensurate with the amount of time they were asleep, but that's okay. Um, it was it was still pretty cool, I thought. Yeah, no, and I think uh, you, you talked about the uh, um, obviously themes and the philosophical ideas, and I think that, and Amy mentioned that as well. There's definitely a lot of parallels there uh, from the time period. I mean, this is as well, you know, the late '60s, civil rights, the, the the flower generation. A lot of things are coming in question, and you see you see that obviously. I think that that is also kind of what creates this this um, this parallel, the similarity between the two. Exploring um, there's a what what if, um, but also using it's a it's a Star Trek trope. It's a science fiction trope when science fiction do, is done well. Using um, something else, something that's non-human, as a way to actually put a mirror up to humanity, um, and and basically in the, in this in this story the apes are actually us. Um, and it's a, it's a way for Rod Sterling to be able to make a commentary on humanity and have that pill be digested more easily because they have, they have monkey masks. 
Um, yeah. And and I think that in that sense, there is also a parallel. That's something that I wanted to touch on a little bit. Um, that comes through the through the two creatives, through Serling and Roddenberry. Um, and it's really it's really fascinating to me. You know, I I, I learned a little bit about Serling's background. Uh, to me, it's not a coincidence that these are two men who um, served in World War II um, and were in combat in World War II, um, saw action, and both came out of the war changed men, um, and both creative people with imagination, and both saw an opportunity in that, in the realm of science fiction consciously, that was the conscious choice on their part, to be able to exercise some of their demons, but, but really also try to talk about some of the lessons which they felt they had learned internally about going through the war. Um, and um, so I think where it's interesting, and there's both a parallel and a difference, um, there's a measure of hope, I think, in, in Serling, or at least, a, let's say, a, um, a warning. Um, but I think uh, you see a, a truer measure of optimism and hope in Roddenberry. And from what he's seen, kind of the belief that surely the worst is past and it's going to get better. And this is how we can get better. Whereas Serling, and I think, you know, he was fairly known um, for being pretty bitter or, or um, Jade disappointed with mankind, and I think it only got worse as as, <laughs> as his life wore on. Mm -hmm. um, but but you see you see him, and, and you do see that. I think there's if if there's differences in Taylor compared to Kirk and the outcome of the stories, you do see us. I think uh, a lot more sort of uh, not as much optimism, not as much faith that things can turn out for the best um, in the long run between the two. Yeah, I would agree with that one, especially with the ending of that movie. Uh, it kind of mm -hmm. says it all, right? And, uh, and the frustration of not being smart enough. So you could take it one way. It's like it's a warning, either shape up or this is what's going to happen or right. we're destined. And, it's, and, that, and that is what's going to happen. So right. yeah. uh, I, I hear you. Okay. Good stuff. Very good stuff. So you put together a little um, exercise for us, Nick. Yeah, so I thought, I thought we could... Uh, uh, talking about the differences and the parallels that could lead us to to doing sort of a rewrite uh, and basically say okay well if we have if we say that the, that we start with this story um, but instead of Taylor it's Kirk mm -hmm. and that's let's start from there where do we go what what if it's going to be an episode of TOS what parts are going to be the same what parts are going to change um, who are we going to have on the planet is it Earth? Is it an alternate Earth? Um, or is it a, a, an alien planet? Um, I thought it would be fun to have a little bit of conversation about that, kind of rewriting it as a TOS episode. Mm. How, how creative is our, is our teacher guest star tonight? Because well, I know math teachers lead. are very creative. Oh, <laughs> very logical. <laughs> I know, I'm kidding. That way. <laughs> so as I was thinking about it, I was like, okay, obviously, yes, we have Kirk as the main character. And, and unfortunately planet of the apes like the two other astronauts like they are not in the movie and i'm like oh well that's pretty sad because you want to see the trio right uh, mm -hmm. kirk spock and bones and so we've got to work them into it so let's say they don't die but you know they do get 
captured and then treated this way. And, and so I'd like to see all three of them in there. I imagined it being a different planet, um, not the earth. So they're out in their travels and um, then they get captured and, you know, and just sort of follow from there. So I'm going to say it's on a different planet and we have all three of them there. Yeah, I, I, you're right. Because, because we start with the three astronauts, I immediately thought, okay, well, the first thing that would happen is that would be the trio. And obviously, Spock and Bones aren't going to die. So, yes. so then we go from there. And, I, I, you know, I could totally see them walk, walking around the planet for a little bit. Um, I do, I think it would be fun. I can, you know, Cornelius and Zero are scientists. Um, and they're both doctors. And Bones is a doctor. And I, I, I could totally see some banter there if, if somehow he gets captured first. Um, and in a way, even though it steals some of Kirk's thunder, I see some really fun moments. If he was the one who Zira first discovers and who first talks to her, doctor to doctor, basically, you know, and, and her thinking that she's this intelligent ape who's clearly smarter than a human. And then... You know, I could see some of Bone's southern, um, southern charm come out. You know, giving her some uh, some uh, some crap about how I'll, I'll show you real medicine. Um, and um, I don't know. I think that you probably, obviously, you'd want to have Kirk get captured. Um, and then I, I thought maybe Spock would be the one who actually evades capture. Maybe maybe Bones gets, cap gets captured first, and then. Kirk and Spock are ambushed, but Spock is able to to escape. And you could have kind of a B plot where he's the one trying to find a way. Then, because that's kind of Spock's character, um, smart one of the group. And then he's find, trying to find a way to track down where the uh, ape city is and and free Kirk and Bones. Um, well, yeah, because you could have him go against the the war general ape guy, mm -hmm. you know, and sort of evading him and trying to rescue them but you know so playing that military game there yeah yeah you know there there would definitely be um some of that i i could also see i mean at some point there's going to be a a, a face-off between kirk um and general ursus because because that's that's basically i mean you want right that that's almost like kirk and the gorn you want you 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 see that I, I mean I, I can visualize Kirk pulling pulling his uh his double fisted chop on on uh, one of the gorillas' <laughs> um, neck and and also the uh, the scene the, uh, the the trial of Taylor you know that there's got to be if Kirk is there if if we've had if we've had the moment where Bones basically are, if he's the one who shows that that men and humans can speak. Um, and we don't have to have kind of this slow reveal with Taylor and his throat injury and all that. Um, you know that there would be that Kirk would, would try to pull some uh, Kirk Wurtfu on the Council of Apes during his trial and reverse the situation and show them how, how they're the ones who are barbarians or they're the ones who are being prejudiced um, against him, uh, which could still end with them kind of pulling the whole, you know, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. Um, that they do in the in the film. Huh. So I went in a very different direction. Um, hmm. Yeah. Good. 
Well, good, good, good. I, I, I went, I don't know, maybe it's, it's, it's somber stuff. I don't know why. But, you know, the movie has, the Planet of the Apes movie is, is powerful. There's, there's just, it's just a very powerful movie. And, and I think to me, it was like, I, I didn't want to lose that message. So I, I think a lot about TNG. You might've heard of that. It stands for the next generation. It was a show that came on after TOS. And um, it was on for like seven oh, we have years or something. That. Oh, this is why I'm on the show. Yeah, it was on for like seven years, something like that. So anyway, um, there was a, there was a, there was a you know an episode that was involved like this deity type guy, and the humans were really being smug and arrogant, and he was going to show them, you know what? You better get used to the fact that space is full of danger, and even though you're out here in a big hotel with little kids. Um, you can get your nose bloody pretty bad. And that's exactly what happens, right? And, 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 and the, the crew on that ship learn a pretty important lesson. And also they understand that they, they need to shape up and they realize that these, these very bad people, these uh, Swedish type people with really bad skin are coming for Earth, right? So I was thinking along those terms where there were many times where Kirk, Spock, and, and McCoy and the crew or whatever are, um, they're, they're either caught like Spectre of the Gun or Savage Curtain, or, you know, an alien puts them in a situation where they either have to prove their humanity or, you know, even, even Arena is sort of like that, right? But in this case, I, I, I thought we could go one or two ways. You have an alien that is, is, is showing them that, you know, uh, humans aren't perfect bad things can still happen even on earth if, if things aren't aren't switched around because we are talking about 60s track not not 80s and 90s track or it's it's an alternate universe that they find themselves in and 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 essentially that same plot because i i can't think of anything more powerful than what than kirk watching kirk and, and uh, watching spock and mccoy i get killed or or get operated on or any of those same scenarios where like, man, it would be dramatic as heck. And, you know, it might have that, that Voyager flavor restart um, at the end. The, re the reset, yeah. The reset, yeah. The, the reset button might have to be pushed. But man, it would be um, very powerful. And I could see it working because it's that same message. Maybe it's not Earth. Maybe it's, it, it's another planet that, that's going through it. Or like I said, maybe it's another... Like I, I, I hate multiverse things. Like it drives me crazy. But it would be an effective way to tell a story, and and it could so easily work because Taylor and Kirk are the same person in many many ways. Passionate, oh, angry, um, intelligent, but yet will will you know they're not always going to talk. Kirk's great at talking himself out of things, but he'll he'll throw a punch you know, uh, b before, you know, uh, you know, he'll come out of left field with that sidewinder and come after you. So that's where I was coming from. I was coming from a, a very darker place and watching um, all these events take off that way. It would just have to have something on the front end that puts them in that situation. You know, they beam down in a storm or something and boom, they're someplace else that they didn't expect to be. And it's a parallel earth in the same time frame. And all these things happen. Somehow there's a reset, or it's an alien that's trying to teach them a lesson. It's funny. I know that's it's awesome. I mean, I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't as bold as you because I didn't I didn't dare go.
go in a place where I was thinking, okay, well, we could have, like you said, the, the Voyager formula of if we set it up properly, we can, we can go and kill Spock or kill Bones and, and lobotomize, you know, Spock or vice versa and, and then reset the, the button at the end. Um, but I did, when I was thinking about the setup initially, I was thinking exactly in, the, in terms of it would be really cool if um, you were talking about a storm or something. There, there's obviously a, a Star Trek trope of a phenomenon. Something happens at the beginning right. and they crash on this planet. And what I thought would be cool is if they don't know whether they are on an alien planet or whether, whether this is Earth. Because remember, Planet of the Apes is supposed to take place, I think it's 4,000 years and change from, from our present, right. which would also be the far future for the TOS era. Mm -hmm. And so if they don't know where they are exactly, if they've traveled in space or in time or both, um, and you could have, if you were willing to sacrifice the twist of the reveal of the Earth at the end and the Statue of Liberty, and move that earlier in the film um and you have it either right off the bat or maybe half an hour or so in the movie um maybe it is when when kirk is on trial and and the apes tell him that he's on earth if the if 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 kirk gets to find out that this is earth in the future and somehow the dream of the federation mm -hmm. collapsed and again, he still doesn't know, is it an alternate future? Did they travel in a parallel universe or is this their earth? But even in the doubt of one or if that it might be their future, you could actually end up having a Kirk who is more, even more in line with Taylor because you could have him and you, you talked about these, these um, parallels, you know, the passion and the anger that he can have. Um, if he is convinced, even, even if at the end we decide that they're going to be, it, it's not there, it's not, the prime earth but if for a while kirk thinks that well the federation failed yeah you could see him you could see him go in a dark place where where he would um it, it would generate some of that same maybe bitterness that taylor has in the film about humanity not right not being able to sustain itself at the level that that it rose during the time of the federation yeah. Well, I guess the question was really, listen, you, you came up with, I think, a very good scenario, a very good plot line, uh, an approach that would be a fine uh, show, and, and it just changed it up. It made it more star, more like a Star Trek episode. I took a Star Trek episode and made it more like Planet of the Apes. That's all. And it's, it was just a, mm -hmm. a different way to, to, to show it. But in, in, you know, just like um, City on the Edge of Forever, you want that, that powerful ending that grabs you and shakes you. Uh, and I think usually uh, in, in TOS and TNG and all the shows, it always comes off with, there's a scary message here, but you feel pretty good. You feel pretty optimistic. They would all, I like the idea where Nick is saying, you know what? Something goes wrong. The Federation falls apart and 4,000 years in the future, this is the way it's going to be. What, what would they be looking for? What would be the signs that, uh, you know, because it would just be a, an eye blink uh, when you're talking about their lifespans in 4,000 mm -hmm. years, you know, what could be the trigger to see this thing end and all these things change on earth. Right. And that's where I think it could really be fascinating. You know, yeah. Even... And if you think... Go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead again. I was just saying, I wouldn't even have to do the Statue of Liberty. It could be the Golden Gate Bridge, which is such a big 
iconic thing in, in Star Trek, right? Or, or something along those lines. I don't know if everybody would catch it or if it would be as powerful uh, because we don't see, you know, the, the only really um, piece of architecture we see consistently again over and over in Star Trek is either the Golden Gate Bridge or um, the Eiffel Tower. Really mm -hmm. don't see anything else. So one of those two things that could be more Star Trekky, perhaps, but I think that it would be a, um, a powerful message. And, you know, for such a show that, that talks about optimism, um, I, I find this too in business and I find this in life. When things are going well, people can get very complacent and bad things can sneak up on you because you're not paying attention to things. And uh, you saw that a little bit with, um, with the Federation. And they wrote that, I thought, quite in, as much as I teased TNG, that was a great episode. Um, Q, who, who, and, and that whole that whole premise was a wake up call because they were just so full of themselves. You could see that, and um, this could have been TOS's message, although it could be like something that's like uh, something that could further and further along as Star Trek goes on and try to figure out what was it that that brought the Federation down. And so, yeah, it's a pretty dark message. It's not what we think of Star Trek. But man, from a from an entertainment, powerful, philosophical type thing, it could be um, could be really fascinating. And you could totally see it today. I mean, you know, if you since we like to we like to to always nod um, at the Kelvin timeline, you know, if and the, the great thing that the Kelvin timeline did is they created a world, um, uh, a playing ground where we can we can play with the elements of TOS, but when done well see how how they how they how we can mix modern sophisticated ideas into tos and this is not a this is not a dig or diss at the original tos it's just you know things progress and yeah. as we as we live through i mean science fiction like everything is a reflection of our of our lives and so as we gain experience in our lives as a collective species we learn more and so we're able to apply more to to things like star trek and you can totally see if it's done well you know the idea the idea being i mean you have you have dreamers like roddenberry who say well what if we can get better and that's a great first step but the next one is to remember that the things that man does that we take for that we take for granted as immutable are not and you can build something beautiful and tall but it's not as immutable as the sun or as the sky and the sun itself is not immutable and so mm -hmm. the, the fact that one, once you have it you have to remember that you need to maintain it if you want it to to remain what it is and so to start with something which which tells you even if it's a, a, a with a question mark is it our future does that mean that we have had the federation for two three hundred years and we think we think we've arrived but we could just as easily regress and lose what we've gained. And mm -hmm. if so, what do we do to make sure that doesn't happen? And maybe, you know, to, to counterman the, the darkness of it, because we still haven't talked about that. It's, it's how you, it's the, it's figuring out how you end that story. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I think this is where maybe we have more of an uplifting ending instead of just, you know, ending with Kirk on his knees, like Taylor saying, you, you did it, you failed you actually kind of have a lesson learned ending which allows our characters to return to the federation with the idea that okay well this is 
this is what now that we have this perspective this is what we need to do to make sure that that we don't that we don't get there that we don't fail that we maintain the dream of the federation what starfleet stands for and so on mm-hmm well, I think it opens up, I mean, now that I've been listening to you talk and just now my brain is going, I'm like, we, so Star Trek is so in the future. And then that's that ideal of, okay, there's no more disease. There's no more, you know, money system and, you know, no hunger and things that we deal with on a daily basis here right now. And so that's so in the future. So we're looking at it and it's like, okay, there's our goal. Like, that's what we want to go towards. And now you're throwing, well, all of that is now gone and demolished. And how did we lose it? So it's like, you know, levels or degrees, as my brain sees it, you know, like first degree, second degree, third degree. So now we're up here at this third degree where we don't have the Federation. And it's like, man, we, I, we didn't even get to the second degree hmm. of that place, you know, and now we have to worry about getting there and losing it. And I just find that very interesting because you think we're going in a good direction of, you know, with however we're going to get there. Cause you would think, you know, not having a monetary system and, you know, getting rid of the common cold and, you know, some major diseases, that that's a step in the right direction. But what if that's leading us to, Ken, where you're saying we would end up, Planet of the Apes? Yeah, I guess what I'm saying, Amy, is like all things, right? We've, we've evolved in the last 10 or 15 years. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of perceptions today that things are going in the wrong direction. I would grant you a lot of it's more perception than reality. Um, just because of the way things are so divided. Um, but the reality is I can walk down any major street and I see people of all races, of all ages, of all creeds getting along just fine (laughs) every day. I see it every single day. Um, and so are are we taking the, the small portions of things and letting it grow to a point where we're, we're missing the forest for the trees. And I think we are to a degree. And I think when, when, when you were saying, you know, there's no monetary system, and there's no, um, there's no disease and there's no, well, you know, there's a lot of debate in Star Trek on how we get better. They just kind of say it, right? And there's, there, there isn't anything that, that, that you can point to that says, okay, you know, I, I, it was war-weary nations finally said enough's enough. And within 50 years, as they showed us on Enterprise, they did away with, with poverty, which I think was the first piece, right? And then some diseases, obviously there was still plenty because we were dealing with them episodically from time yeah. to time, right? Yeah. And, and the whole money thing seemed to ebb and flow. There was still some sort of economics because people were offered roles and jobs and, and you, you do aspire to move up just like you would in a hierarchy on a starship. You seem to do that on earth. And I think about um, Jean-Luc Picard going for that job um, on the Atlantis expedition and he was mm-hmm. going to head that thing. So that was a new role, a new job. So you do see pieces of that. So since we don't really know exactly how it all works, nobody's, you know, there's been some books, there's Trekonomics, things like that. But all we know is that we got there. It would be fun to explore just like maybe with Genesis. Did they cheat a little bit? Did something go wrong? Did they use proto matter in the matrix? <laughs> right? And, and this, whatever it is that, that, that you know, uh, allowed these things to happen. 
and and maybe something you know because sometimes um bad things need to happen for good things to happen right i'm, I'm not promoting that by the way i'm just saying from a societal point of view so what if what if something happened to create the earth of the future mm-hmm. but there was something underneath the surface and if it's not figured out we wind up at the planet of the apes and that could be a fun journey to try to figure that out yeah um, that yeah. that's that's where i was going so it's hey you know there's a lot of directions for this and one thing i don't think we really enjoy too much is we don't want dark star trek that's that's not why we like the show um you know deep, deep space nine i i really enjoyed that show but it could get really dark at times um we 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 want to make sure at the end we avoid it it would be interesting to go on that journey of realizing that something happened that will cause this unless it's fixed and because what they have is so special they're going to do everything they can to fix it what mm-hmm. that it is i don't know but i think that would be a fun storyline yeah i think you're both you both are really um touching the nerve of it i mean i think that that plot device wise what you need if you're going to have that end that we talked about which it ends on a uplifting note a note of hope which is consistent in line with star trek you first need to identify or part of the story needs to become once they figure out this is earth not knowing maybe if it is their earth or prime earth but maybe it doesn't matter because maybe maybe if this is if the the course of this earth whether it's theirs or not is similar identical enough the idea is we have to we have to figure out what went wrong what what did the federation what did starfleet what did humanity do wrong that caused the collapse did it happen first of all the federation is not earth and that's a big difference between planet of the apes and star trek it's many worlds so is it something that happened maybe outside of earth which caused the collapse of the federation and then earth isolated drifted into regressed or is it something that happened on earth that caused mm-hmm. the collapse of the Federation. Because if, if, the, if the future of the Planet of the Apes comes about in Star Trek, it means that Earth has been on its own for many, many centuries. Right. Um, and so, so we're talking not just about a failure of humanity on the local quote unquote level, but you know, collapse of the entire Federation and then isolation. And I think that you then have to, it's, it's funny because there's there's similar similar similarities between that and things like um, City on the Edge of Forever or the Bell Riots episodes in DS9, but the difference is, of course, that these build into their plot device that they go into the past and they figure out what they have. It's almost like the Voyage Home as well, but they have to change in the past to correct the future, their present, right? But here we reverse it, where these guys are in their future. And they're seeing something that happened that went wrong. Mm-hmm. And if they learn, then it's almost like it becomes a two-parter. Then they have to go back. And, and then you get to more of like the city on the edge of the forest. They have to go back and, and undo, you know, it's the, the Edith Keeler must die moment. They have to make sure that whatever made things go wrong and led to the planet of the apes doesn't happen. Um, un- unless, unless you get into even more Star Trek kind of thing of, there's something at that point in time in the far future, which is like a guardian of forever, which is still there, 
which is what has thrown everything out of sync, which they can fix, even though they're in the future, they can fix it there mm -hmm. and it will realign, realign everything back, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, there's, a, there's a lot of directions this thing could go. And uh, hopefully going down a dark path wasn't, um, what <laughs> was it, wasn't what you guys were thinking, but I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it, no, it, I like it. It could be deep. <laughs> You know, and, and we're we're all watching Discovery, and Discovery is pretty deep. You know, what I mean, it's it's yeah, it's, it's very deep. Yeah, uh, I, I I I I'm I'm enjoying it and and all that, um, but it maybe maybe it's because watching Planet of the Apes again, watching the first three episodes of Discovery, um, kind of watching what's going on in the world today, and it hasn't been a good week at all. Um, that's just where my mind went, but um, but more so as a warning you know the other piece of it nick is it, it might not be a thing of trying to go back and fix it but try to look for the clues as they progress even from series to series what are the things that they could undermine it? you know mm -hmm. that's all yeah it, you know you're right it, it might be that they if you if it's the uh if it's the last if it's basically let's say that kind of what they did you know with next generation let's say that they TOS is more successful. It goes on for another couple of seasons. By the end, the network decides, well, we want to make a movie. And so the movie ends up becoming sort of the, the swan song for TOS. Hmm. And you can have a story which deals with finding out about this possible future, resolving that story in that time, and then Kirk, Bones, and Spock going back and saying, well, from now on, it's about us. It's, it's like that line that Picard has with Worf, you know, vigilance, Mr. Worf. And so, <laughs> right. you know, you can, you can leave it open-ended like that, where it's, it's literally, and that's, I, I guess some could, could look at it as dark. I don't think so, because again, it, this is more, it's, it's mature, it's mature hope, not childish hope. You know, and I think in the 60s, as beautiful and romantic as it was, part of what caused some of the problems that happened later is the fact that at times we had kind of childish hope instead of mature hope. And it's, it's nice to wish upon a star, but you also have to be able to, you know, be an, an adult and say, things don't just happen by wishing. And, and so that's the first step, dream. But then you come back and say, okay, well now we know that we can't take it for granted. You know, vigilance, Mr. Spock, vigilance. And you leave it at that. And then you could even say, you know, you can imagine kind of this alternate um, Roddenberry timeline where when he comes back for, for like you said, the, the next series, you can pepper that throughout where you have sort of always this, will it or won't it happen? Are they on the right path to correcting this or, or are they not? You know, and you have the whole section 31, you have things like the Pegasus, you have in, in all the Star Trek incarnations, you can say, well, is this, is this something that's going to lead us towards this dark future that Kirk and Spock and Bones had a glimpse of? Or are we avoiding it? Which is, Planet of the Apes itself did a little bit of that. You know, at the, at, when they started to, do with, to deal with time travel, actually, ironically, you know, and the concept of, can we change fate? Can we prevent the apes and humans from going to war? And at the end of the series, they imply that they do. But then the last shot is the statue of the, of the, of the great ape. And the tear rolls down, which all of a sudden tells you, well, does that mean that what they've achieved is going to get undone and they're going to go back to what we first saw? Um, so you can have a little bit of that, that same back and forth 
um, wandering constant vigilance. We, we can never take it for granted what, what the Federation has accomplished. It's pretty cool. I hear you guys talking and in my mind when you're talking about, well, if we need to change for the future and this is one possible outcome and what can we do now to, to change it. Uh, I'm in my mind and you're talking going to the back, back, you know, to the past. Can we change it in the past? Can we change it in the future? Like you guys are describing all good things. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's Through my element. TNG lens. You know? Yeah, that's that's that. Yeah, but you, that's that's a good parallel. You're right. You're right. And, and you you could see you could see if you if you were making that uh, that TOS movie, the Planet of the Apes TOS movie, maybe that's how we fix part of the the, the plot telling. Maybe you have Kirk in his present and Kirk in the Planet of the Apes future. Um, and maybe it's about him at some point, you know, maybe he realized that in a way he's the, 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 the Edith healer of that story. And there's something that he did for all the right reasons in his present, which is the, the initial trigger that's going to lead in the space of decades or a couple of hundred years into a complete collapse of the Federation. Why not? I like the parallel you came up with, Amy. I, I think there's, there's, it, it could go in that direction. I've always found that all good things probably may be one of the best Star Trek movie episodes, whatever you want to call it in history. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah. that good. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's unique. It, it seemed to me to be more of a, um, a scientific, you know, mystery as to, to the cause and effect. And uh, you, you could, you could pull it into that. I guess I'm, I'm thinking much more, thematic and much more um it, it's going to go for a while i guess is what i'm saying is you know they, they get a glimpse of that future and then piece by piece they're going to unravel what created it uh and you know it could be years and years of shows it could be weeks and weeks of shows it could be whatever um so that that's what i had in 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 my head that type of thing you know yeah and, um, and you could you could have the end of it be just the fact that initially they're trapped on this planet and they're surviving once they realize that it's a possible future for earth it's about finding the way back just because it could be something as simple as them saying well if if this future is going to be averted we have to find a way to return because we're the ones now with that with that foreknowledge of what may happen who can apply the the concept of vigilance and try try to make sure that it doesn't and then you can have your your typical ticking clock race against the time, finding you know whatever the the device is that's going to allow them to return to their time before the apes get them, and then when they when they finally make it, then you can have your 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 vigilance, Mr. Spock moment where where they kind of go, okay, well now now we've seen what might happen, we know better than to take it for granted. Now let's start to work extra hard to make sure that we stay we want to be mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay all right so this this was quite a ride for me i i i enjoyed this i, I like the perspectives i like the thought when when you get into those creative modes it can be it can be a lot of fun hopefully our listeners will find it to be as interesting and come up with some some cool ideas so um yeah before we move, i'll just say any any last words or final thoughts around this topic amy 
I, I found it an interesting exercise to compare and contrast the two um, because they do have the similar themes and Planet of the Apes like just flops everything that we know, which Star Trek tends to do quite a bit. You know, it's like, oh, now apes are in control and humans are the animals and just sort of that whole flip flop or, you know, and we see it so many times in Star Trek and I'm more familiar with next gen, but um, you know, where, okay, now we've got women in charge. Oh, now we've got, you know, a species that's one sex. Now we've got, you know, androgynous or, you know, and they just sort of flip the script on it. And I think Planet of the Apes did it so well. And it was so interesting to see these uh, social issues coming through, you know, with the, um, the class system and the classification of the apes and you have to work your way up and, and just how that is speaking to us nowadays. And like you said before, like these types of scripts and movies and, and TV series are we're looking at us but it's an easier pill to swallow because it's them, you mm -hmm. know? So I, it's, I enjoy comparing these two and I'm, I'm glad for the opportunity to see a new, another great iconic movie. <laughs> you think they're listening? Well, Paramount needs all the help I can get. Nick, what about you? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with what Amy said. And I, I think that, um, you know, final thoughts, I would say kudos and thank you to these two creatives because that it shows, um, and I know these are things that have been thrown around before about both Rod Serling and Gene Roddenberry, but, uh, and they were both human beings, both with huge flaws. Um, so it's not about putting them on a pedestal, but still kudos and thanks to them for um, creating something, creating a platform in those worlds, these stories, uh, and th this is probably you know the, the biggest similarity that that 50, 51 years later for one and forty nine years later for the other um, is something that you that generates that can generate so much thought, um, deep thought, reflection, um, and so it, and it shows I think applying this because i always try to apply things to not just have them be rhetorical um whether it's dark optimism whether it's whether it's um fear or warnings there's always you can you can there's value if if some if an idea is reflected and and motivated uh we shouldn't be we shouldn't put it down we shouldn't criticize it uh, you talked about discovery ken i think a lot of a lot of people who i who i read about uh, seem almost not afraid, but they'll talk about the fact that it's dark and they say, you know, I, I don't want it to be, why is it so dark? Why is it so this? And I'm the first, when, when In the Darkness came out, I mean, it's in the title. And, <laughs> and, and, and I mean, and I felt like, like I was the first one to, to, to jump on the bandwagon to criticize it. But that's because I felt like it was trying to use the quote unquote darkness as a gimmick to make the film more hip, to make the film more palatable to audiences mm -hmm. today, whatever. It, I have nothing against darkness. And I think Star Trek, even TOS, didn't shy from, from darkness when it's motivated. And when I see something like Discovery, I feel like they are applying that thought. 
um, they, they're not just being dark for the sake of being dark. They're not just saying, oh, you know what? Um, sex and gore and swearing um, sells. So we'll just make Star Trek darker because that'll sell it better. I don't see that at all. I just see them exploring ideas. And that's what films like Planet of the Apes did. That's what TOS did. They weren't afraid to do to go places which were challenging at the time. Um, and I think that um, that's the lesson that these two guys, these two creatives gave us is do not be afraid to ask the questions and think about it. Um, and, and if it's, if you're reflecting, if you're thinking you're on the right path, whatever, whatever it is you're thinking about, even if it's dark, um, the first, the first step to getting out of the tunnel into the light is to walk through the tunnel. So. Okay. Right. So as a, as a Frenchman, you know, I, the first thing that comes to mind is Churchill, you know, when you find yourself in, if you find yourself in hell, keep going. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I was trying to think of a good French quote along those lines, but I couldn't. I had to go with Churchill. Sorry. It's just across the channel. What's 20 miles? Yeah, close enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. We can play with that. All right. No, I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your, your creativity coming up with this subject tonight. It's very different. And, and I like that. I, I like when, when things get, uh, shooken up a little bit we 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 like to play I, it seems when we get into some serious topics nick you're usually involved in it which is a good thing and amy you know i, I thought uh you brought a lot to the table too because it's it's good to see through fresh eyes completely because you're looking at tos through fresh eyes right you see that perspective you call yeah. out the things that you see you know hey this really wasn't very good this movie really looked cool this looked pretty you know pretty cheap how do you pull all this stuff together right um there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of truth in that and also trying to marry what we know about star trek's future with with you know how the heck do we even get there so that's pretty yeah. cool yeah. yeah all right so i guess what i will say is to our listeners out there what what say you uh when you, when you think about this subject if you're a planet of the apes fan and if you're not first of all i highly recommend you see it uh and and i guess the um the latest three movies are also quite the trilogy and uh, I think for all to be enjoyed, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bigger fan of the, uh, the old school. It's just me, I guess. But um, at any rate, I hope that, uh, that, that you watch the movie. If you haven't seen it in a while, think about it and, uh, and kind of compare and contrast what the three of us came up with this evening. So Yes, I would vouch for the movie. Go see it if you haven't and rewatch it if you have. It's good. It is good. It's good. Okay, so what I'm going to do now is just say, hey, big thank you to our associate producers. We have Renee Roberts, we have Norman Lau, we have Aaron Harvey, we have some guy named Nick Anastasio, Tim Who's Robertson, that? Richard Marquez, and Corey Elrod. Guys and lady, thank you. Thank you so much because your, 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 your willingness to contribute to our show in, 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 the net, in the network in general allows us to keep continuing with all these podcasts. And I am telling you, right, we can see, the three of us see this going on in the network right now. There are more shows than you can shake a stick at out there right now. Uh, there's like five or six versions of, of, of uh, Discovery podcasts flying. So there's, there's a lot of good things happening. And all of it um, takes quite a bit of money uh, to, to, to put together, to, to buy the equipment, to do all those things. So if you would like to be an associate 
producer on our show. Hey, we'd love to have more or any of our shows or would like to contribute in any amount. We would appreciate it. We would ask you to go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N slash Trek FM and donate uh, whatever dollar amount you can afford. Just know it's $25 a month to be an associate producer and it's $15 a month to be a part of the uh, Star Trek uh, I'm sorry, the Trek FM Roundtable, which we've all hosted and been on at different times. So good stuff there. So as we, we finish up, I'll turn to you, Nick, first. Where can we find you on the internet, sir? The Babel Conference will probably be the easiest place. I'm on Facebook. I'm one of those weirdos who's not on Twitter. But uh, you can find me on Facebook under my name and at the Babel Conference, where I'm always, uh, always uh, trolling around. Well, actually, no, I try not to troll. I loiter. Okay. And Amy, I, um, I know you have to open up the notes that are about the size of an encyclopedia to go through all the things that you're doing and where people can find you. So we're going to sit back and listen. Where can they find you? Maybe it's easier if you tell them where you can't be found. The queen of podcasts. You guys are too funny. So you can find me here on the network. What are you talking about? I co-host with Richard Marquez and Justin Ozer, Earl Gray, which is the podcast about the next generation, my favorite. And you can find me on The Edge, which is the new podcast for the Discovery. And I co-host with Brandon J. Mutella, Michael Schindler, and Aaron Harvey. And I do a little mini show called Postcards from the Edge, where I talk about and read the fan response of the episode. So that's where you can find me on the network. And I, I am on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. So you can tweet me there. And I favorite place is on the Babel Conference. So that's where you can find me there. Pretty That's good. Not too many shows, right? No, it, it isn't. But you know, I, I give you a lot of credit. You've been working very, very hard to bring a lot of shows to the network, all up to date. And hey, Discovery's the end thing, so it's it's rocking it out, and it's nice to see you be a big part of it. And uh, I'm, I hope you're having fun with it. It seems like very, you're getting very much so. I love yeah. the interaction with the fans. Like Postcards is becoming one of my favorite shows. Yeah, and anything. And you're getting more. I, I, you're getting more comments on postcards every week. I'm looking at the number, the number of comments, and they're they're increasing every week. I know, and I'm so excited. And and you know, we've this. There's been two weeks of discovery, and it's fun to hear. Oh, I heard my name on the air, and and that's that's really great. I try and read as many as I can, but there are so many. But you're gonna have to start doing a speed reading, like the guys at the auctions, to get up, get on. <laughs> well, I did coach debate, and so maybe I could pick up some of those skills there. There you go. Yeah, maybe. Well, maybe it's no no longer postcards. It's uh, long letters from the edge. I don't know. Yeah. That's oh, all. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'll enjoy it. So that that that's good for you. Uh, for me, you can find me also in the Babel Conference, doing uh, as much commentary as I can for the shows that that we drop here for Standard Orbit, and I also like to play around and listen to as many podcasts as I can on the network. There's so many. Boy, we're so spoiled. Uh, we try to keep up that way. You can find me uh, on Twitter at Boston SCPO and, uh, you know, at Facebook as well. So we're, we're out there. So I appreciate all of you listening and uh, we will see you next week for another edition with Zach Moore of Standard Orbit.